Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Kathy Barrett, and welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down the not-so-yellow brick road of life. And life is something we shouldn't do alone. So spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain this week. The purpose of this series is to provide you with examples of extraordinary women who have handled their health challenges in different ways. This is our Breast Cancer and Empowerment uh, Part 2 show, and it is really a showcase of courage and hope and creativity, a place where you can tune in and be inspired by others. Each of these women that have been on the program have faced their health challenge with courage and with a willingness to do whatever it took to get well, and in the process of that mindset, they, were ele- they elevated their lives to another level of empowerment. They even created products and companies that make a difference in the lives of others living with breast cancer. And when they couldn't find what they were searching for, they created it. So if you're listening and you don't have breast cancer, then perhaps you will be able to pass along what you learned from these programs to someone you know and love who may be diagnosed in the future. Unfortunately, according to the American Cancer Society, there uh, will be an estimated 230,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer diagnosed in women this year, and about 57,000 new cases of non-invasive breast cancer, and about 39,000 of those will um, be in depth from breast cancer. So if you're putting off your annual exam, Uh, procrastinating, which I know I'm famous for doing, Um, here's what I would like you to do. Just take this moment right now, walk to the phone, make a phone call, and take care of yourself. Pause and make that appointment. The show is in archives. I'm not going to be upset if you leave the show and you go and make an appointment for yourself. So please take care of it. This week's show, Reclaim Your Life. We have two fascinating women on the program today. Our first guest is Amkari Williams, who was a stage, film, and commercial actor for 20 years. And she then moved into the world of politics and worked as a consultant to members of Congress for quite some time until she decided to move out of Gotham and search for a more quiet and serene life up in Columbia County. In 2008, after a routine mammogram, Amkari was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she's here today to share her process from point of diagnosis through treatment, and now that she's been cancer-free for several years, she's helping others as a life coach. You can find out more about Amkari by going to www.investigatinglife.com. I love that title. And we also have Hope Nimaroff, and she is the Executive Director of Breast Cancer Options, and Breast Cancer Options provides support, health, advocacy, and information to the Hudson Valley, specifically in Ulster, Dutchess, Columbia, Green, Sullivan, and Orange Counties. You can find out more information by going to breastcanceroptions.org. This is a terrific resource, people, and they offer really great programs. 
like um, companion advocates uh, for breast cancer-related medical visits and peer support groups. They have uh, breast cancer forums and referrals for financial and legal uh, services, complimentary medicine conferences, peer-to-peer mentoring, and my favorite, which is something called Camp Lightheart, a free sleepover camp for children from 8 to 15 who have parents uh, struggling with breast cancer, and I think that happens at the um, Omega Institute. So their state funding was just cut. So if the spirit moves you today and you feel like doing a good deed, which I hope you do, make a donation to breastcanceroptions.org. Ladies, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Yeah. Well, great. It's great to have you on the program. And um, um, Kari, let's, let's start with you. You went for your annual mammography expecting to hear the news that we all expect to hear when we go, which is usually all clear. Thanks for coming. And then this was different for you this uh, a few years ago. And so, so what stage cancer were you diagnosed with, and, and what kind of treatment did you receive first? Well, off? I was really lucky. I was diagnosed with what's called stage zero cancer, and it specifically ductal carcinoma in situ, which means cancer that is located in the ducts of the breast and it hasn't actually spread outside of the ducts. So that is, if you have to have cancer, it's really probably what you want because it's very treatable. And I had surgery, I had a lumpectomy, and then after that I did about six and a half weeks of radiation therapy. And that was, that was the extent of my treatment, and I consider myself really fortunate that it was caught as early as it was caught and that it was in a very treatable form. Now, did you give yourself, you know, monthly breast exams or what was your process like in taking care of yourself prior to going for your annual exam? I have to confess I did not do monthly breast exams. I would do it when I thought about it. Mm-hmm. I also have to say I, there was no way I would have ever found these tumors with a breast exam. They were too small for me to find. So the only reason I found them was because I had I was very, very meticulous about having an annual mammogram. So even though I wasn't always doing the self-exams, I never, ever put off a mammography. Oh, that's great. And, that's, um, and look what happened because of that. Like you yeah. said, you were able to catch it really early, get right to it. And, I do have uh, a little story about that. Sure, sure. When I was scheduling that mammogram, the job I currently had, my boss was going on vacation, and I had the thought, oh, you know, let me put this off because I'm going to have to cover for her while she's gone, and I'm really kind of going to be very busy. And this little voice in my head said, don't. And I listened, and I didn't. So if I hadn't, I mean, I probably would have put it off for another couple or three months. And that's not, that wouldn't have been a good thing. You know, breast cancer tends to progress very quickly, and it might have been the difference between a non-invasive cancer and one that had actually migrated outside of the ducts. So listening to that little voice was really a beneficial thing. That is an excellent point to bring up, Amkari. It's true to, to, to really, for all of us, to trust our intuition. and and But also not to put, I mean, this is a life-or-death situation, as you say. I mean, it could have spread. It could have 
a million other things could have happened. So regardless, and, and you know, today I had three or four different emergencies that came up. Hope you, you had mentioned you had something. And it's like if we put off these things, every time something comes up, we would be in deep trouble. We would never get to the doctor and check out the things we have to check out. Exactly. So that's, you know, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that that story because I think that's really something that needs to penetrate in the minds of women, especially mothers, um, you know, who have kids and, and they're juggling so many things at one time and tend to put themselves last. It's such an important thing to take care of. So thanks again for sharing that. And then so tell me a little bit about the emotional process that you went through. If you can tell me were there stages of it, how did you kind of maneuver through that? Well, in the beginning, really, truly, I was just flabbergasted. It was like it, this came so out of the blue for me. I never, ever expected that this would happen to me. And it took me a while to just process that this was actually real. And then you get so involved in okay, the decisions that you have to make because there are so many decisions, and that kind of keeps you going. And then what I realized was somewhere after the first surgery and before I started my radiation therapy, what started to happen for me was that I became increasingly afraid. I mean, I, I would wake up in the middle of the night in just a complete panic. And it was debilitating. I mean, uh, the therapy for me was no problem. The fear was debilitating. And that was really, really hard. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, that's People who know me know that is not me. I'm, you know, I sort of just keep going through and sail through, and this one really stopped me in my tracks. And finally, at some point, I just said, you know, you can't continue to live like this. This is just insane. And I decided that I needed to figure out something to just press me through that fear, which I didn't expect it to go away forever, but I needed to get it to a point where it was manageable for me. And well, let's I go just, back a second, though. Sure. Uh, can I just bring you back a second? Yeah. So what was the fear about so people? Because a lot of people go through this. That's why I'm, I want to share it so that they can feel not alone. But well, what was the, the main fear, fear was that even though my doctor had said, this is not going to kill you, the main fear was that, yeah, it was going to kill me, and they were just flat wrong. And okay. you know, it's like, yeah, and you know, how do you know? You know, I mean, my mind is just <laughs> playing all sorts of tricks on me. And then also, you know, if I had a twinge, I, it, instead of it just being a twinge in my mind, it was like, okay, the, you know, the other shoe dropping. And I began to become afraid of kind of everything. It was just this sort of overwhelming sense of impending doom. And that was... You can't live like that. You simply cannot live like that. I can't. I don't know so, if I can be clearer about that than that. No, no, no. I got sort it. Of everywhere. Yeah. Sure. Now, Hope. Let me ask you: At what point during this process do women usually contact your organization? Oh, it's all different points. We have women that are at high risk who who have. Um, breast cancer in the family who call and ask questions, and we have women who have just been diagnosed. Um, sometimes they call up asking for a referral to the doctors doing, you know, uh, reconstruction or radiation or, you know, questions like that. And then sometimes people who are, are done with treatment who don't know what to do to stay healthy. 
great. And then you offer kind of information or resources for them to tap into regarding that. Sure, because they ask their doctors, well, um, okay, I'm done with treatment. What do I do now so I don't get sick again? And the most often give, uh, given advice is don't worry, which is really <laughs> easy for somebody who's never had cancer to say, but not right. easy for a patient who's going through it who real, probably realizes on some level that there may be some things that can actually reduce their risk. Exactly, which we're going to get into more detail in a, in a couple of minutes. So, um, Kari, just getting back, okay, so you, you recognized, which is great, you could you, you recognized that you were stuck in this fear and that you had to do something about it. So before we get to those things that you did, how did you choose? How, do you, how did you know what doctors to see and what, you, you know, whether or not that treatment was a good treatment? Did you go for a second opinion or mm-hmm. just take us a little through that? Yeah, and actually it refers back to the point that Hope just made. She mentioned people asking their doctors afterwards what next and the doctor saying, you know, basically don't worry about it. And what I found was I was very lucky. I had wonderful doctors at the outset. My gynecologist was amazing in giving me referrals to different surgeons and discussing different treatment options with me. And when I found a surgeon... She was great, and then I was referred to other doctors. But I was referred to one doctor, and I was sitting in her office at at my initial visit, and she was going through this whole list of questions, and I was answering them. And at one point she looked at me and she said, you're really afraid. And I thought, of course I'm really afraid. And I never went back to that doctor. I called my gynecologist and told her what my experience had been and said, I need another doctor because that was not the right doctor for me, because it felt incredibly judgmental, and I felt like saying, why wouldn't I be afraid? <laughs> you know, I mean, It just struck yeah. me as so odd. So I think it's very important that women find doctors that they feel comfortable with and that they feel heard by, so that you right. are honest about what's going on for you and that you do actually have a way of discussing your options. If you don't feel if you don't feel comfortable with your physician, you're less likely to really talk about what your options are and what course you want to take going forward. Now, well, that's a that's a good point to bring up. And Hope, do most of your referrals come from doctors and, and hospitals? How do people find you? Uh, all different ways. Um, a lot of it is word of mouth from patients. Sometimes they stumble across us on the <clears throat> on the web. Um, there are doctors that refer patients to us. We also have <clears throat> acupuncture clinics for women in treatment. We get funding for that. So if they're That's suffering fantastic. from side effects, yeah, so they're allowed to. <clears throat> we're funded for about uh, five free treatments per woman. Oh, that's and, amazing. Um, that's so great. It, it's a wonderful program. We get funding from Miles of Hope Breast Cancer Foundation, and um, it's been such a popular program, you know. Uh, anyway, so we get women on a number of different ways. Sometimes it's people oh, yeah. who come to our complimentary medicine conference and, and, you know, find us that way. Right. I mean, your programs are really sensational and you cover so much. So, I, you know, we, as I mentioned, we're going to get into it uh, much deeper. But it's for those, uh, let me just repeat, the website, it's breastcanceroptions.org, 
and you can go to that, and it's a very simple website, and it has lots and lots of information for you, and uh, so check it out. And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Hope, is, um, Cara, you had insurance, and, and that wasn't an issue for you, but Hope, how many calls do you get from women who have no insurance well, and, and feel a lump or... Well, not just no insurance, but underinsured. Underinsured uh. is almost worse because if you have no insurance in New York State, one of the things that Breast Cancer Options and the New York State uh, Breast Cancer Network fought for was making sure that women who find a lump get um, screened and treated. So <clears throat> they don't have to worry about insurance. Once, it, once, they're, once they find cancer, they're, they're treated. But women who are underinsured, I mean, we get calls, I can't afford to do chemotherapy because I can't afford the co-pays. Or I can't uh. afford to drive to radiation every day. And and it's happening more and more. It's a very, very big issue. That's a heartbreaking story right there. Awful. I mean, that that is just something that shouldn't exist. And there is it's, and there's kind of nothing that can fund things of that nature that would have to come by private donations, yes? Well, we used to have a pot of money called Linda Helping Hand, um, and that was funded um, by member items from our legislators in New York, and all the member items got cut for everybody, oh. so that program went. There are We have um, referrals that we can make for, for women. There are, are places, depending on where they live, that they can get some stopgap kinds of things, and we also advise them to talk to their doctors because their doctors can sometimes forego the co-pays. You know, oh, yeah. Pop, you right. Know, and sometimes they do. Right. Well, actually, we had a guest, uh, well, on next week's program, um, a documentary filmmaker who is, it's really going to be a sensational show as well, but when she was first diagnosed, she um, had no insurance. And uh, she actually did a fundraiser and raised money for herself, you know, as a young girl just out of college. So she was fortunate enough to be able to do that, but it's, you know, that broke my heart as well, you know, just to have to go through being diagnosed with breast cancer and then having to, you know, worry about where the money's going to come from to get the treatment you need to survive is just something that should not, in my opinion, exist in this country at all. So, all right, let me calm my spiritual self down. I'm getting all I'm getting all riled up. <laughs> okay, so just getting back to um Amkari, when when did you begin to reclaim your life? When did you grab hold of that fear? What was the instigating event that kind of brought you to a feeling of safety for yourself of, and you were able in that you were able to let go and start living again? Well, right after I finished treatment, I found myself in this state that I think is pretty common, which is, you know, when you're in treatment, all of your energy and focus is sort of there. And you're seeing the doctor, in my case, five days a week, and there's just a lot of energy around that particular event of healing right then and there. And after that, I was really at loose ends, and my mind was spinning out of control, even worse than it had been before. And I finally said, I need to just do something and shift this. And I happened to live not too far from Omega, and it was the spring, and they were starting their season. And there was this trapeze troupe that comes to Omega, and you get to 
go on the trapeze. Now, for many people, this would just be fun and wonderful. I hate heights. I'm terrified of heights, always have been, probably always will be. But I thought, you know, I can if I can make myself do this, I can just remind myself that fear is not something that has to run my life. So I did. And I, I remember climbing up to the top of the platform. And there's no way down once you're up there other than on this trapeze and thinking you have lost your mind. What are you doing up here? And but the only way down was to fly, and so I did, and it was amazing. There was just such a sense of accomplishment and freedom, and it's like, okay, you know what? You can be afraid and keep moving through that fear, and it doesn't have to overtake your entire life. And that was really the sort of springboard for me to just keep pushing through the fears that came up, because it wasn't like that erased all of the fear. It didn't. It, you know, nothing's going to do that. But it made me remember that I'm a bigger person than that. And and what a metaphor to follow. You know, it's it's uh, that's a beautiful thing, really, because I know I'm petrified of, <laughs> of heights, too, so I'm so impressed that you actually did that. But Thank I can you. see how you how you would really break free. I mean, if you can do that, then you can, you know, look, you you know, you got through the cancer and then you got through your fear of flying and um so that's a that's really a beautiful thing and you can hold on to that for the rest of your life no matter regardless of what challenge you're facing. And then you also, I know you started working in the garden and changing your environment and just just speak briefly about some of the things that you also added into your daily repertoire of in life that kind of, you know, helped you also to come to a different place for yourself. Well, I I you know, I had had a pretty healthy lifestyle before anyway, but after the diagnosis I really decided I needed to ramp it up. And we have a huge vegetable garden. My husband is really into this and he when we first moved up here he built this enormous garden and I didn't spend that much time in it it really wasn't my thing but that summer after my diagnosis I started just going down to the garden and just spending time either weeding or I'd plant something or I'd just sort of see how things were coming along and I started being just so much more engaged in it and it was really like a walking meditation for me. It was very calming and very nurturing. And I got to shop in my garden. I would decide what was for dinner based on what was in the garden. And we don't use any chemicals, so it was all organic food. And just eating really clean, pure, healthy food made me feel like, if nothing else, I can at least make it so that my body isn't having to fight other things isn't having to fight the toxins that are in so much of the food that we eat. So that was a big thing. And then I walked around my house and thought, okay, what in my home is not helpful? I got rid of the plastic shower curtains. I got rid of all of my plastic food storage things because they leach chemicals into the environment. So instead I keep my food in mason jars in my refrigerator and in my cupboard. And I have fabric shower curtain liners and things like that. Just, you know, I just took a look around and decided that there were ways I could make my environment healthier, and I did. 
That's excellent. Which brings me now to to hope this is the perfect opportunity to now start talking about uh, breast cancer options. Um, and so tell us how it came into existence. You're also a breast cancer survivor, and why it came into existence. Because I want to get to talk about the environment and breast cancer. But first, let's start there. All right. Well, sixteen. I was diagnosed sixteen years ago. Um, I had a really not a wonderful lifestyle before. I didn't pay any attention to what I ate, the chemicals around me, and I was pretty sure that it was a chemical contamination from um, a poison ivy killer that precipitated the whole thing. I mean, we'll never really know, but um, I got bleeding fibroids, and within a few months, within two months, found uh, had a regular mammogram and found breast cancer. Um, and it just started me thinking. I mean, the whole process, I was very frightened from the get-go, <laughs> from the minute I was diagnosed. I didn't sleep. I didn't buy clothes because I thought it was a waste of money um, because I wasn't going to be around. And right. it took me a long time. I mean, I, it took me a long time to get over that. It's really a process, and everybody... Um, you know, one of the questions we get asked the most is, is it normal to be afraid? And why are we taught that, you know, this is the first time we've faced our mortality for a lot of us and had to make a really important health care decision or a bunch of health care decisions, and why do we think that it's, that we shouldn't be concerned and afraid? It's normal. Right. Yeah. So um, at any rate, I got involved in thinking about um, what I was surrounded with, um, and I did, you know, many similar things to what Ankari did. I I also sleep in total darkness at night because light at night destroys melatonin, which is an anti-cancer hormone, and, I mean, there's a whole host of things that go along with that. Um I've always been a person who wanted to test before and after. I always want to see if something's working for me. So when I did a diet, I tested. I did special tests before, and I did special tests after to see if it was working. Um, not everybody does that, and I'm not sure that it's necessary for everyone, but for for me it was. And I wanted information on, on the environment in breast cancer. It is very little. Uh, very, very little. I also wanted um, support services out in the community. There were only support services at several hospitals back then, and I didn't want to walk into a hospital. <laughs> I right. was pretty uncomfortable going into hospitals, and many women are. So, right. and and we you, also you created what you needed. You just created yeah, what you needed. Yeah. Um, the companion advocates, I mean, I know from my own experience and from many other women that um, they feel like they can't be themselves when they're diagnosed in front of their family. They don't show their fear. They don't show a lot of things, and they keep it to themselves. But I felt that you ought to be able to go to a doctor and just let it all hang out, you know, so that they know where you're coming from. I mean, you, you have to be able to do that at some point in the process. Well, so what I was, you know, reading, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, that's why the companion advocates came about, you know, somebody, right. a, a trained survivor to go with you on, on visits. So you can ask questions like, am I going to die? 
and not have your husband freak out. Exactly, which is so important. I think I love that service that you provide. I really do. I think that's like so important to women who get diagnosed because a lot of times you don't want to go with your family because you can't really be yourself, as you said. You're petrified about how they're going to react to something. And so that's really a, a great thing that you offer. And, you know, also reading your website, 60%, I, you know, I'm taking this from your website, and then I, I went to one of the links that you provided for uh, Vassar. And 60% of people with breast cancer do not have any of the known personal risk factors um, like, you know, late, late menopause, having, having children late in life, family history, uh, so on and so forth, which really is interesting because it does kind of point back to the environment. But then on your website it says less than 3% of funding actually goes to study the environment and the, effects of, uh, and, and the impact it has on breast cancer. Is that correct? It's true. I mean, and when you look at um, the pink month, which is, you know, October, and you look at the organizations raising money like uh, the Susan G. Coleman for the Cure, and most of their money comes from companies that put carcinogens in their products, and, uh. which I, I find really shocking. And they're a national organization that doesn't serve the Hudson Valley and a whole host of other places. But, you know, they throw a pink ribbon on something, and um, they don't do the research that I think is, is important. I mean, we assume... You know, all these organizations that go around and say, oh, we want a cure, we want a cure. It's not that I don't want a cure, but I have a daughter that I don't want to be cured of breast cancer. I don't want her to get it in the first place. And until we start thinking that way, uh, we're in deep trouble. I mean, I don't accept the fact that breast cancer has to happen. I I agree with you and then you know the other thing is like if you break down the environment and then okay we have you know um chemicals you know from uh being dumped in in the our water supply uh and um i was reading on the website as well that uh um that increasing scientific evidence suggests that many synthetic chemicals may interfere with cellular pathways that may be involved in the development of cancer, including breast cancer. And that, like as you were saying before, it's difficult to draw a conclusion because most of the time when they are uh, doing the research, they're testing one chemical at a time. They're not right. really testing... Um, uh, the multiple things that we're all exposed to every day, like the products that we, you know, shampoos and lotions and in our cosmetics, that they all have those same uh, chemicals that have been shown to interfere with normal estrogen-related processes. So this is what, I mean, I, this started, stuff started blowing my mind. And then um, in, the, in the water supply as well, that if the levels aren't of, you know, um, uh, the toxins in the water supply, if the levels are, like, very, very low, then it's, you know, it, it kind of slips through their filtering process, but it's still right. actually in the water, and the water has to be filtered again. So this is all information. I don't know, you know, like you say, I don't know how many people are really paying attention to this. And um, this has inspired me to just clean out my house, and <laughs> I'm going crazy after the show this week, just so you know. But I wish that everyone would take a closer look at this stuff because it's it's really imperative 
that we take responsibility for it because no one is minding the store out there. <laughs> and if you're not protecting yourself, I don't know how much protection there really exists anymore. Well, last year, um, Breast Cancer Options, as part of the New York State Breast Cancer Network, we, we go up for Breast Cancer Advocacy Day every year to, to Albany, and we pick a few issues to work on. And one of the issues years back was making sure that women who got screened could get treated. Last year we took on, uh, or the year before, um, getting bisphenol A out of baby toys because New York State still allowed baby bottles and baby toys to have this hormone-disrupting chemical that our children were using, you know, and exposed to. So this last year we went up uh, to get bisphenol A out of, of all things, register receipts. So every time a clerk hands you a receipt at a store, it is coated with bisphenol A. And it is now in our money supply because they hand you the receipt and the money. And it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. So that's one of the things that Bill is, uh, I think one is in uh, the Senate and the Assembly has to finish it. I mean, it's a long time with these bills. That's really something. Well, listen, the next time you're, you're going with your advocacy group, I'd like to do a whole show about that. Okay, oh, sure. I'll follow you guys up to <laughs> to Albany and try to make a show about it. And uh, because I, I think that's really important, because that's that's the way the change is going to take place. And uh, so, I really appreciate the work that you're doing um, to make that happen. And uh, let me just we mention, go up with, the, yeah, no, go oh, ahead. I, I just to, we go up with. Um, Ulster County um, both sees new vision students, and these are students who are going to be in the health field, and we've done this for 11 years. And last year, it was these kids, I mean, because what I've said to them is never accept anybody's evidence, always do your own research. So mm-hmm. we went up to pass this law on uh, bisphenol A and receipts, and a big environmental group found an alternative chemical, and the kids did research on it and found that the alternative was just as bad as this went away. And this was 17-year-old high school students. So we're really training healthcare professionals and, and future scientists, you know. Um, and they Oh, that is fascinating. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So they'll be going with us this year. And, you know, that people should know about it. Absolutely. Well, I will do my part to get the word out there. I mean, I think we, you know, I'll definitely do more shows about this and and just, you know, uh, because I think that there's so many issues that need to be discussed and people are not aware of what's going on at all. But I really do appreciate that the, the work that you're doing because I know it's um, it's it's massive. I mean, to do this kind of research and raise funds and offer the services you do is is really really. Um, you know, is time-consuming, and it takes a big chunk out of your life. So thank you for seeing the need for the organization that you created because you must feel you must feel so amazing to be able to service as many people as you do. I mean, you're a very special woman to, to take that on, and I thank you. And, um, okay, well, you know, please hang on the line with us. I just want to go back to Mkari and uh, talk about now you've gone through this experience and then you came out of it and you're a life coach now trying to help other people, which is beautiful, Mkari. So tell us about your company, which is investigatinglife.com. Yep. 
Yep, that's where you can find me on the web. And what I realized was that everyone has a crisis in their life. It may not be a health crisis. It could be a job that you lose or a relationship crisis or anything. We all come up against it at some point in our life and realize that what we're doing needs to change to adjust to the new reality for ourselves. And that's something that's always really fascinated me is people and how we change and how we adapt and how we move forward. And so I decided to take the skills that I had learned in previous incarnations and political consulting and in training Fortune 500 executives and apply those to just life in general and specifically life after a crisis. So I decided that the way to do it was to get together with people one-on-one and work with them on what their goals and aspirations for their lives were and then how those may have changed and how to attain these goals and aspirations in the current reality of their life. That's beautiful. And the name of the website is investigatinglife.com. Now, do you also throw in a flying lesson? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I like to keep the trapeze flying down to once every few years because, you know, still afraid of heights here. But, you know, that it's not the, the, the point for me is that you can have a fear and still move forward. You don't have to sort of overcome your fear to the extent that it's no longer there for you. It just doesn't have to be the thing that stops you. Right. And that's a lot of what life. I work on with clients. Excellent. And Hope, what what should we be doing as citizens uh, in terms of the government? What can we do uh, to help you continue with what you are doing and to get more money allocated to researching the effects of the environment and so on? Well, just uh, be, become an informed consumer. I mean, for those who want, we put out a what we call our Healthy Lifestyles Calendar, and anybody can call our office and we'll mail them a copy. I have plenty of the 2011 left. And each page has information on either advocacy or the precautionary principle or what's in uh, what's in uh, your personal care products or lifestyle changes that you can make to lower your risk, um, stress reduction. I mean, every page has a, is, is packed with something else. And people can call up and find out what to do. It has the it's the 2012 will have uh, the New York State Breast Cancer Advocacy Day listed on it. So there's a lot that people can do. Right, and that's uh, that's really an excellent suggestion too because we, we do have to become personally aware of everything. I'm making that commitment on the air right now to do so and uh, you know, and just research and support and spend money, uh, you know, with the companies that are taking that into consideration. I mean, we, you know, it's not just the environment we're polluting, we're polluting our bodies. Even if we're living a healthy lifestyle, I'm Kari, like you said, we're surrounded by, you know, things that we were never present to before that could be very dangerous to our lives. I have to say, um, this, this has been an amazing, amazing show, and I, I just want to check with you both any advice that you have, uh, let's start with you, Hope, this time. Any advice you want to give to women who are just being, uh, and men, who are just being di- diagnosed now? Anything you'd like to share with them? 
Well, I mean, just to know your body and, and be aware of what's going on in it. I mean, a lot of women who are newly diagnosed want to do all kinds of scans and stuff, and we know that that really doesn't help. So it's just you've got to get to know yourself and call for help because, unfortunately, we all learn by our mistakes. So you can make less mistakes if you reach out to people who have been through the same thing before. Excellent. I'm Kari? Yeah, I agree with Hope. And the other thing I would say is don't go through this alone. If you are uncomfortable having your spouse with you, then bring a friend, bring someone with you to your doctor's appointments and your treatments. You really need support. This is not an experience to undergo by yourself. Really call out for help and take it when it's offered. Excellent, ladies. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you both on the program. Thank you for sharing the intimate details of your experience and your lives. And um, I wish, Amkari, I wish you continued success to you uh, as a life coach and hope the same for you and breastcanceroptions.org and continued good good health uh, to the both of you. And I I hope you'll both come back on the program. Thank you so much. Okay, great. My wish is that we wake up, people. I have to admit, I'm not as conscious as I should be, and I'm not paying close enough attention to what's in my cosmetics and the cleaning products I have in my home. And it's up to all of us to take the time to investigate things and be aware of the consequences if we don't. I hope that this information gets to the right people who need it so that they may find a connection and inspiration in the life experience that have been shared in, in this series so far. Next week, another fantastic show, which uh, ends our series on breast cancer awareness and empowerment. Veteran documentary filmmaker and mother Mary Katsky will be here. Mary's company is affinityfilms.org, and Affinity, Affinity Films is all about mindful media. And our second guest is Amanda Melnick, young wife and mother and career woman extraordinaire, as she is vice president of marketing for the Food Channel and Cooking Channel. Today, I'm going to send you out with a song that was written specifically for breast cancer survivors, and it's it's called We Can Fly. And the beautiful vocals are performed by Norma Jean Wright. If you're listening, spread those wings, because together we can fly again. It's been great to share this half well, more than a half hour with you. I hope you enjoyed our Breast Cancer Awareness and Empowerment Series. And this is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll join me. Not the time to be alone. Oh